Good morning again. It's like I haven't seen you in a while, right? Well, um, we're uh, continuing our uh, series on um, marriage. And you may be thinking, well, I'm single or divorced. It doesn't pertain to me. Yeah, it does. Because they're all relationship issues. Every one of them. And uh, today I'm going to talk on right standing. And it's something that's really dear to my heart. It's something that I struggled with from my childhood on up. Uh, this deep feeling, you may not know how to put it into words, but uh, for me it's the, the fear of abandonment and the fear of rejection. You say, you? Yeah, me. Um, I've, I, I've, I've always struggled. I'm a lot better now, trust me. But I've been working on it for about 31 years. And it's interesting how um, on a sunny like this with the Av offering and talking about right standing, because right standing in a relationship marriage is, is the idea that we're always in right standing with each other. That no one's going anywhere, no one's running from this relationship. Even if we're in the middle of a fight and we're disagreeing, we know in our gut that no one's going anywhere. That we're always in right standing with each other. See, that's security. I find it just interesting how the enemy starts to poke because I'm, I'm supposed to be the man of faith, say, yeah, and hopefully I am. And this morning I walked into a little bit of a disaster. Uh, I was pumped up, and I'm always pumped up for Sundays. And uh, as soon as I got here, I found out the Wi-Fi was down. Now you say, oh, so what? No, you don't understand. You see, we're taking, we took the Av offering, and we have a lot of people watch online. And now we, we can't talk to them about this either. So that shook me up a bit. We've been, now I know we've been having struggles with that, with the online giving towards the app, so it'll, it'll be right. And so everything was, in my head it was spinning because, you know, this is like, goes back to what I grew up in, the feelings of, you know, you're not going to be there for me. You know, God, where are you? And I struggled with those for decades I grew up in an alcoholic home, and if you grew up in an alcoholic home, be honest with yourself. You struggle with feelings of fear, uh, of abandonment, and rejection. In my marriage, and you know, for the first six years, uh, it was very difficult. I, I just didn't realize how many um, uh, relational issues that I had that were just wrong. I, I didn't, I couldn't comprehend. I didn't know it. And I married my wife Olivia. She married me. And we both grew up in alcoholic homes. How many of you know dysfunction finds dysfunction? You, you, you marry what you're used to. Raise your hand, everybody. You should know that one by now. You marry what you're used to. And, um, and so we, we found each other. We got married, and it just wasn't working. The first six years just, just weren't that good. And so in those times, you wonder, are we going to make it? Is this going to happen? You know? But the thing for us was we were both followers of Christ when we got married, and... Um, so we took our vows serious. Even though we may have felt opposite of those vows, they were right and they were serious that if I said I'm staying all the way or I'm staying all the way, that well, you know, we're, no one's going anywhere. And so we worked on it and worked on it and worked on it and things started getting better and better and better till the point is we knew no one's going anywhere. We're always in right standing with each other. Now, do I still carry baggage? Yeah. Do you still carry baggage? Everybody does, because we're all descendants of one set of parents, Adam and Eve. See, there's no 
different races. We're all different ethnicities, but there's one human race according to Acts. And we come from the same parents, which I told you in the identity series. That means that when you got married, you married a relative. Remember when I said that? Distant, but they're a relative. And so, um, but because we're all descendants of that, we all carry these issues. And, and one of these issues is, you know, the, these, the, uh, that, you know, I should say, we're all, we're all broken in places uh, because of that result of the fall. Now, we have a lot of good pieces of our life, but we have some broken pieces. And it's always been the mission of my life to focus on those areas where God can heal up those broken pieces because it's the broken pieces um, it's the broken pieces that hurt our key relationships. Are you following me on that? So when I came to Christ and you came to Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, you'd entered into what's called sanctification of the Bible. It's just a progressive transformation of your life. As you are honest with yourself, apply the Word of God, understand you have the power of the Spirit of God for change, and Jesus on the cross rendered the old nature, the old me, the old you that wants to keep doing it the wrong way. He rendered the old me powerless or paralyzed. So now the new me, which according to scriptures, the word means like something never existed before. I can walk in new life. And that's what we want for you. So today, this one message, and it's number four in five messages. Next week is the last one in the marriage series. And then after that, I'm going to do a series called Overloaded. Because let's be honest, uh, the more we get into life, uh, the busier we become. You ever feel like life is just overloaded, your life? You ever feel like, man, there's just no room for anything? I, I can't say yes to one more thing because I've said yes to too many things. And because of maybe the job or everything moves at the speed of light now and technology and everything else, it feels like there's just no, there's no gaps anymore to come back into our right mind and there's no gaps financially and there's no gaps for peace and there's just no gaps. And what suffers is the people that we love are key relationships. How many know that to be true? So we're going we're gonna to go in that series after this and that should be an interesting one. So today we're going to look at right standing. That you and I in marriage, Olivia, we're always in right standing. That neither of us are going anywhere. Even though the first six years were rough, we have now been married over 38 years. So we did work things out. I got some experience. Of course, we were married when I was three. I'm 41 now. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but here's our key verse. The only one I want everyone to read. Would you just oblige me on that? I'm going to count to three, and then I want you all to read it. Here we go. One, two, three. And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands, not quickly torn apart. Would everyone say three strands? Now, in marriage, you have the husband strand, you have the wife strand, and then you have a third strand. Like any rope has three strands to make it strong. We've been covering third strands. The first week, we looked at attitude. And the attitude was basically, it's not about you. When you got married, it wasn't about you. And so if you went in selfishly, you went in uh, with this uh, reality that you're going to break someone's heart because you're going to make it about you. It's not about you. It's never been about you. And if you didn't learn that when you got married, if you had children, hopefully then you learned that it's not about you, right? You learn now that you'd never be cool again, huh? 
that now you couldn't buy her clothes at the cool places. Now your wife picked them out for you and brought them home. And that's the way it was. And you're okay with that because it's not about you. So attitude was a third strand. The second week, we looked at this idea of love and respect as a third strand. That all women, they need love, which is security. And all men, they need respect. Men need respect like they need oxygen. That's a third strand. Last week, Dave Geith, one of our deacons, did a great job. And he talked about right words, another third strand. That we can destroy our mates with bad words, right? And if you think about right words, we said last week that words create worlds. Now, if you want an image or a picture of that, all you have to do is go back to Genesis chapter 1 in the creation record. And it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Earth was formless and void, etc. And then God spoke and said, let there be light. And then God spoke and he said, let's separate the waters from the waters. And God spoke and it said, he made the greater light and the lesser light, the sun and the moon. And then in that same line, he goes, I love this line. Oh, and he made the stars also. It was like nothing to God. And then God spoke. And what happened? He creates all the, the, the plants uh, all on the planet. Then God spoke and the sea life. And God spoke and he made animals. And then God created man from the dust of the ground. You see, God creates all this atmosphere by speaking before he creates man and puts him in that proper atmosphere. You see, that's a picture of what God wants to do for you and I. When it comes to right words, we, we create atmosphere with our words. And my friend, if you have said some ugly things to your spouse, you need to apologize. You say, well, they don't treat me nice. It doesn't matter. Just you take responsibility for yourself. And once you start to do that, you will put new seeds in the relationship and you'll change things because words create worlds. So today we're going to look at right standing on the third strand. Now, our tagline is this. Make this one, pause, the best one. Here we go. Please say it right because you offend me every week. Here we go. Make this one the best one. Yes, you did it right. Good. We're learning. Which means if you're married, make this one the best one. If you follow God's word, I can guarantee you 100%. You guys follow that? It's, you're going to be successful. If you're single, divorced, one day maybe going to get married again, then make the next one the best one. And, and watch what God can do if you just follow these things. Are some of these things going to rub you wrong? Yes, they are. Are some of these things going to rub you wrong in that the culture has taught you differently? Yes, they are. But this is true. This is true. This is God's word. And you can trust it even when it doesn't feel like it's right. But you don't go by your feelings. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge God and He will make your path straight. Remember that one? So let's do that. Now, today what I'm going to do, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. Turn in your Bibles to Romans 3 or your app, and if you have neither one, it'll be on the screen. I'm going to use Romans 3 uh, for a theological, and theology, the word simply means the study of God, for a theological basis to show you how our relationship with God is rooted in right standing and the the magnificence of what God has done. And then I'm going to try to parallel that to our married relationships, to any relationships. Because if we operate in that same mindset and reality of I'm in right standing because of what God has done, if I take that anywhere else, especially marriage, my gosh, how much more security would we have? How many more marriages are going to make? And then... 
I'm going to take you to the end. I'm going to give you three points. It's not comprehensive. It's just very limited. But I'm going to take you into relational dysfunctions that hopefully right standing can overcome. Does that make sense? Say yes. Somebody say yes. Okay. Because you're going, oh, I don't know yet. Okay. It'll make sense. Okay. Here we go. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Which means the first bullet point is this in your notes. Everyone married a sinner, including your spouse. Your spouse married a sinner, and that sinner is? Say me. Don't say you like you're pointing at me, okay? I already know my wife married a sinner, okay? Now, everyone married an imperfect person. Now, I know you thought when you were dating they were so perfect, and then you got married and realized you had to get some air freshener for the bathroom for when they came out. Any amens? So they weren't so imperfect right away, right? Just, just, just trying to be fun here. Now, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's a key phrase because glory of God means everything that God is. So when you think of it like that, yeah, I fall short, you fall short of everything that God is. How could I ever live up to that? I have fallen way short. I'm an imperfect person. Olivia's stuck with an imperfect person. But then... Because I'm in trouble and God, something doesn't happen, I, because I'm imperfect and a sinner and I can't measure up to God, I will spend an eternity in damnation apart from God because of that. So Jesus comes along and does the greatest thing ever. And that is the, verse 24. Let's read that one. It says, being justified as a gift by his grace. Grace means something you're given that you don't deserve. You just, you know, or you can't earn, I mean. Uh, by his grace... Uh, lost my train. Okay, by his grace, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Now, we see the next bullet point, and that's, and that's this. Jesus gave his life to put us in right standing. Now, I was out of right standing with God because I'm a sinner. Now, Jesus comes along and puts me in right standing because, he, because of what he did. Now, now, let me tell you what that means. The word justified there, it means, and, and this is something we will visit again and again because if you don't get this, you're going to have problems in your faith. You see, um, justified means declared innocent. Once I put my faith in Jesus, it's, it means I've never committed a sin in my life. I've been declared righteous and innocent of all these things. It's just as if I've never sinned. That means this. That means, remember, how many remember state and standing? And remember when I said stuff like that? So I have a state and I have a standing. If you don't remember, this is why I got to keep saying it until you get it. I have a state. I'm a sinner. I know things I've done wrong this week. That's my state. That's what's, what's real. But there's another reality that I've got to live in as a follower of Christ. And that is my standing. My standing because I put faith in Jesus. And what Jesus has done, he's justified me through his blood. All my sins have been washed away and I've been declared innocent. My standing before God is, I'm always in right standing. And I never have to doubt that. Even though I messed up. Now, if I dwell only in my state and I know I messed up here, I messed up there. If I stay right here only, well, the Bible says in Revelation 12 that the devil and his arsenal, they accuse us before God day and night. I mean, if you want to stay here, I mean, there's plenty to accuse ourselves of. The devil accuses us if you want to stay. But don't stay there because you will walk away from God. You will feel like this is too hard. You will feel like I cannot come and worship. I cannot serve anymore. But if you come back into your standing before God, 
then you, you begin to realize, man, I'm washed clean. I, I am innocent of all sin, and I can walk with my head up. Even though I had a bad week, I can still come in and worship God and be okay because I'm in right standing. How many like that one right there? I like that a lot, personally. And then it goes to the next set of verses, or verse, verse 25, it says this. Whom God uh, displayed publicly as a propitiation. Say propitiation. In his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his for. His righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. Now, now we see the third bullet point, that, and that's this. When I fall short, Jesus doesn't give me what I deserve. Now, look up at me after you write it. Propitiation, very important word. We don't know what it means until you look it up. Let me tell you what it means. I've shared it before. I'll share it again because you got to get it. Jesus became the propitiation. Propitiation means this. The lid on top of the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. You say, what's the Ark of the Covenant? That's the place where the priest would come in once a year with the animal blood, and he had to be cleansed, and he'd sprinkle that blood on top, on that lid of the little coffin-like structure covered in gold, which is the Ark of the Covenant. He did that to cover everyone's sins in Israel for one year. Not cleanse, but cover. It literally means that God, look at me, God winked or God closed his eye to our sins for one year because of that. Never cleanse us sin away. Now, Jesus comes along and he becomes our propitiation. And what that means is he was the perfect sacrifice. And so he cleanses and washes away all sin, not just covers them, not closes his eye to it, but washes away our sins forever and ever because he is the mercy seat now. Now, mercy literally means I do not get what I deserve. I deserve judgment. I deserve damnation. I deserve it because I'm a sinner. Mercy is a great thing. How many of you, your child messed up one day, but you still went and got him candy? Have you ever done that before? That's called mercy, okay? You know, they don't deserve it, but you know, they're so cute. Here you go, kid. That's mercy. And man, if we could just live in that standing with each other in a marriage, that we're always in right standing, and I'm not going to give you what you deserve, even though right now you really make me mad. How many know what I mean? If you could live in, those, in the Jesus relationship in your marriage, how much better might that be? Any amens? Now watch, it's not even done there. Verse 26, 7 and 8 says this. For the demonstration I say of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Say faith. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No. But by the law of faith. Say faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith, say faith, faith, apart from the works of the law. Three times you see the word faith in those three verses. Why is that important? Bullet point, please. Because my faith places me in right standing with God. You see, Jesus came and died, carried our sins, shed his blood to wash it away. But I must put my faith in Jesus to acquire all that God has for me. And so once I place my faith in God, I am always in right standing with God. Let me tell you that's so important. Because have you ever felt this, and I know maybe all of us in different dimensions or ways or whatever, 
You ever felt like when you've messed it up or messed up and you know you've sinned that you've somehow got to do good deeds to get back right with God? Anyone ever felt that? Raise your hand. Oh, come on. You're all lying to me. Come on, man. You, you feel like, okay, if I just read two chapters instead of one, okay, we're right. Right, God? Or I'm going to come and I'm going to sing a little, I'm a decibel higher than last week. Then we're right. Right, God? You know, I, I gave a homeless guy five bucks. We're right. Right, God? Let me tell you something. No, you were always right with God. You're always right because you're, you're standing before God by your faith in Him and what He's done. You're justified. You're always right. But if you feel like you've got to do things to be right before God, it's going to mess up a lot of things. And if you carry that into a marriage relationship or any relationship, anything, you're in for a world of hurt as we'll see later on. I don't have to do good works to be right before God. I do them because I love God and He loves me. Question. If we were right before God by what we do, our good works, how many good works would it take for us to be right before God? Where's the line at? How many do I have to do? You can, that's an unanswerable question. And therefore, God says, you don't need to answer that question. It's an irrelevant question. The real issue is, I have justified you by your faith in me. I've done the work, and now you believe it, and you walk with your head up, and you're standing before God is right standing all times. How many like that right there? I like that a lot. And if you'd get that one, man, boy, your faith would change. So, here's the deal. What if we believed it? And what if we took that into a marriage and said, no matter if we're fighting, no matter if we're angry with each other, no matter if like right now I'm feeling like you might end up on 48 hours mystery one day, <laughs> or ID channel, or 2020, or forensic files, or whatever you watch, you know, even though I feel that way right now about you, no, I'm not going to do that. We're, no one's going anywhere. We're in right standing with each other right now. What if we could live that way? Would that be a better way to go? Man, that would create so much security. And that's what we got to put into each other. In one of the verses, it said Jesus gave us redemption. Redemption, key word, especially relationship-wise, it means to purchase a slave out of slavery for the purpose of setting them free forever. What if we took that inside of all that in marriage and our job was to create such a security in our spouse that we purchase them out of the fear of abandonment, rejection, out of the fear of where do I stand, out of the fear that no one's going to you know, leave you, and we said, you're free and we're good and we're always right standing. What if we did that? Man, how many marriages would have made it instead of dying on the vine, Right? Now, so I'm going to take that now. I'm going to take you to three dysfunctional areas to try to illustrate it. So you can see it. This is, it's so limited what I'm going to tell you now, but it's one of the ways, only ways I can really share it. So here we go. When you're in right standing, number one, the statement's positive. This illustration is dysfunctional. Number one, right standing gives us relationship security. Anybody want that? Okay. <clears throat> Let me give you some some stuff that, I, that I've learned in counseling. I don't counsel anymore. I'm not a marriage counselor. I, I'm not very good at it. And besides, you just get mad at me. And no, I'm serious because I'm, I'm prophet type. I'm going to tell you straight and then you're going to hate me. It's better that you love me from a distance. Um, so um, I learned some things over the years and I learned it about myself because I knew I had the issues. 
See, uh, there are some people in this room, and I won't cover your issues, I'll cover some. Some of us in this room in relationship, if your spouse or ever you're dating, they're quiet that day, in your mind you're going, oh, what's wrong? Are we okay? Oh, are we going to break up? Do they still love me? And then you'll take it to this. You may ask them a question, they go, yeah. And then you think in your mind, what kind of face was that? What's going on here? How many know what I'm talking about? And it plays in your mind, doesn't it? It plays on your insecurities. Because you have the insecurity you came in with. It, and you think that they're going to leave you some way. And that's when you've got to be honest with yourself about how to be honest with myself. Because I felt that way very strongly in my life. Now, what happens is this, and this is something I coined, I think the Holy Spirit coined it for me about 25, 30 years ago. I call it the daily or the weekly test. Listen closely. When there's an insecurity like, where do I stand with them? Are they leaving me? Any little thing sets that off? I'll put them through the daily or the weekly test or monthly test. When I see things like that happen, I can just start to go like this. And then they will look at me and they will say, what's the, oh yeah, what's the matter? What's, but they'll say, what's the matter? And then you'll say, nothing. <laughs> nothing at all. No, no, and then they go, no, really, what's the matter? Uh, no, uh, nothing, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And you're, what, you're, what they don't realize is here's what you're doing. <laughs> you're, they're just reeling you in because you have some issues inside your insecurity and so they keep asking that, the what's the matter? And what you're doing is you're trying, them, you're, you're getting them to aim towards you to prove to yourself, look, they still love me. They're asking me what's the matter. They're trying to probe into me. When in reality, they were never going anywhere in the first place. Right? How many know what I just said? How many understand that? It's a real thing. You say, it's not real. Start hanging out with people and talking about real stuff. You'll find out it's really real. And people suffer from these things. And so when you live in the right standing idea in your relationship and use the God principles in that, you won't need daily or weekly proof. You'll be secure. And you, when you start giving security to your spouse, they will be secure with you. And you'll never have to worry like, is somebody leaving me? Are you going somewhere? No, no one's going anywhere. Even when it's tough times, even when it's we're financially strapped, even when I don't like you very much, where nobody's going anywhere. And I'm not going to judge you by facial expressions or anything else. Second thing about right standing is this. It stops relationship sabotage. Come on, preacher. People don't sabotage relationships. Are you kidding me? They do this all the time, every day, all week long. This is, this is a very common thing. Now, let me give you one, um, kind of one slant on how this works. Typically, how we sabotage, not the only way, there's a thousand different ways, but I'll give you one typical one. Um, we suffocate the other person. Everybody needs a little bit of control in life, but I'm talking about very rigid, stringent over control. Because we feel like, you know, I'm not in right standing, they're going to leave, whatever it is. And so you might start to suffocate that person. I'll give you some. You and your spouse are somewhere. And, you, and your wife's talking to a group of people and, and there's a guy in that group of people and he's telling jokes and your wife's, she's just giggling and laughing and you're like, what's going on over there? 
Or the other way, wife, your, your husband's over, it's, it's a group of people, and they're talking, you're gathering, and there's, he's telling what he's doing, whatever, and there's a girl, a lady there, she's giggling and everything, and you're like, what's going on over there? <laughs> you know how that works, huh? Because you know you're going to fight in the car later, right? <laughs> what was going on with that? But if you have right standing, you know no one's going anywhere, and we've created this security in each other, you never worry about stuff like that. Am I right? I mean, if you're a single person, you no longer have to, when, when your girlfriend or boyfriend says they don't want to go out tonight, they're going to stay home, you don't have to drive by their house that night anymore to make sure they're home. <laughs> you laugh because you know it's true, huh? Well, I just had to drive by to make sure. You never have to worry when you're married, like if they're 20 minutes late, who are they with? You come to the door, where were you? Who were you talking to? Let me see that phone. You don't have to worry about that either, do you? You never have to, if you're married, if your husband wants to go hang out with his buddies, you don't have to worry, no, uh uh-uh, ah, suffocate. No, you don't have to do that. (laughs) Or if your wife wants to go hang out with her girlfriends, you know, go ahead, I'm fine. I get to stay and watch TV and eat chips (laughs) for dinner. That's called security. That, that's called, you're not going to sabotage, but when you suffocate and hold on too tight and hold on too tight, hold on too tight, you're going to drive them away. And your own self-fulfilling prophecy that people are going to leave you, you made it happen. That's a proven psychological fact that people do that. But when you let go and release and trust and build all these security things in there, life gets better. Any amens on that one? I'm just trying to help you out to expose you to make you. I use the word recognize or recognition. Once you begin to see it in yourself, now you can deal with yourself instead of blaming everybody else. Does that make sense? Now watch this verse here. 1 John 4:18. It's a verse you might want to tattoo on your forehead. In reverse, so you can read it when you look in the mirror. It says, There is no fear in love. Isn't that great? Now, this love is agape love, it's the love of God which means it's not a feeling, it's an action, and it chooses the highest good for the other person at all times. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Isn't that great? That I don't have to live in fear in my relationships because love casts it out? Because fear involves, say it, punishment. We're going to get back to that. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. Now, fear involves punishment. Let me give you a simple way of saying that. Fear says something bad's going to happen. And if I live in fear and insecurity in my relationships, where do I stand? Now, I always feel like every argument, every misdirection, whatever it is, something bad going to happen. And I might take it to the full length in my mind, worst case scenario, they're leaving me. Does that make sense? Fear involves punishment. Something bad going to happen. But love, which is the conqueror of all things, if I... Bring, bring love, and I mean love, not like let's have sex love, but I mean love where I create security in my spouse because I'm purchasing them redemption out of the slave market, setting them free forever because I'm going to give them security, that I'm not going anywhere. I, nobody's leaving. Nobody's running away. I'm committed. I said I do, and I did, and I still do. And when you have that in a marriage, you got gold, my friend. Because all the cars and all the boats and all the big house cannot buy you that. Because that gives you the best thing you've ever had in your life. Security. And everyone wants that. Now, the third thing is this. Uh, Right standing washes away the I'm in trouble mentality. 
You say, I'm in trouble. What does that even mean? Let me, let me explain, because a lot of people do feel this way. I'll give you one, just kind of show you what it means. You go to work. It's 8 o'clock in the morning. The boss walks by and says, I want to see you in my office at 10, and then just walks away. What are you thinking? I'm in trouble. What do I do? You start going past the last eight years of your life through your diary, and you know. Right? You know, a lot of people live in the fear of I'm in trouble, and they do it in their relationships. Where does that come from? Adam and Eve. You remember those guys, right? They sin. And all of a sudden they go, oh, no, we're naked. It was no sin to be naked, but oh, no, we're naked. And, and so what do they do? They get to start sowing fig leaves, right? To cover up. And can you imagine fig leaves, how big like that? How many does it take? It's a lot of sowing, right? I mean, that's a nice outfit. Honey, get to sowing, you know. And, and so, uh, and then they're hiding from each other. Uh, that happens in marriage a lot. They hide from each other, no transparency. And then what do they do? God comes looking for them, and they go jump in the trees and hide out. Why are they hiding from God? Because they feel like I'm in trouble. That's why they do that. I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. And when we have that inner feeling that I'm in trouble, we will hide out. And when you feel like you're in trouble in a relationship and you have that inner gut feeling like that, you will be quiet, you will lose your voice, you will lose your identity, you will not speak up, you'll just go with the program, and whoever is the stronger spouse who has a louder voice, the other one will just shut up because I don't want to be in trouble. And therefore, at that moment, we are not redeeming our spouse. If you're the strong personality, can you tone it down and allow them to be actually in the relationship? Can you do that? and redeem that person, and free them, so they always know, no matter what, we are good with each other. No matter if I have this face on today, we're good. We're right. Now, let me try to close this whole thing up, okay? Um, So Olivia and I, whether we agree or disagree, we're always in right standing. No one's going anywhere. It's just the way it is. Now, you didn't think you'd escape today without me talking about the prodigal son. At least once a month. Prodigal son comes home. Listen closely. Listen closely. They're having a great time. But not the older brother, huh? He's out there in the field. He don't want to come in. He hears brother's back, and he ain't liking that one bit. Dad comes out to the older brother and says, come on in, our, uh, your, your brother's home, we, it's a celebration. No. And what does the older brother say, among other things? He says this, I've been serving you all these years, and you've never done dot, dot, dot. The guy, is, the guy has amnesia, because his father's done everything for him. But that's what happens when we get crazy in the head. But he says, I've done all these things, Now, what did he just tell the father? He says, our relationship, the way I view it, the son is saying, is based on what I do. And if I do enough and do right, therefore, we're in good standing. He's off base. But listen, when I look at life that way and I think that my, listen, this is how it affects your relationship with God and then with others. When I really, in my gut, you could say it all you want with your mouth. That doesn't mean anything. But in your gut, if you feel like I'm in right relationship with God by everything that I do and do good, 
then what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn towards people, key relationships, family, marriage, and I'm going to now say, you are only in right relation with me if you do what I think you should do. What a mess that makes, huh? What an ungodly stance that is. And by doing that to others, it's a proof in the pudding. We do not know God very well. Because God says, you're not in right relation with me based on what you do. You couldn't do enough. It's just the blood that I shed for you. And I'm giving you mercy and grace. Just put your faith in me. It's not based on what I do. That makes sense? Make sense? See, when I think I'm, I'm in right relationship with God based on what I do, then I'll do it to everybody else. I become a Pharisee. I become a Pharisee, and that's not relationship. Then I'm the brother out there in the field going, I did everything right. When in reality, no, he didn't. There's another point of amnesia in his life. No one does everything right. Now, let me close it all up. Um, at the end of chapter 2 in Genesis, it says, uh, therefore, Shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two become one flesh? Okay. Do Adam and Eve, do they have a mother? Isn't that interesting? He tells him, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother cleave to his wife. They didn't have a mother. Neither one did. Adam was created from the dust. Eve was created out of Adam's side. So it wasn't written to them, that part. It was written to us. But in that writing, in that statement of God, he says, uh, you are to leave them. In other words, cut the cord. Cut the cord, which means mom and dad quit trying to interfere in their life all the time. But yeah, but they're just doing it wrong. Yeah, I get it. But they got to learn the hard way. Because the more you tell them, the more you suffocate, the more they're not going to listen. Does that make any sense? I gave you what you tithe on that one again today, okay? And you just create problems. Just pray. Just, just got to pray. But he says, leave and then cleave to your spouse. Now, cleave is an interesting Hebrew word. It literally means an all-out pursuit. It means that this person I'm married to, I'm in an all-out pursuit of that person. It doesn't mean that I'm in an all-out pursuit when we're dating, and then when I get married, I can pull my, pedal, my foot off the pedal. It doesn't mean that. It means that I'm always in an all-out pursuit of my spouse, and when I do that, boy, there's security there. Now, every, I don't watch the news much anymore because it just bugs, it's so negative. It's just me. You can watch the news all you want, but it just bugs. I, I just would rather get this in my head. Um, but every so often I'm watching news. And I'll tell you, on a night that I choose to watch the news, I hate it when that happens where somebody stole the car. And there they are driving 20, 30 miles an hour, and there's eight police cars behind them. And the news is spending the whole 25 minutes following this. And they got the police helicopter in the sky with the big light. And every, all the news agencies, they have their helicopters way up there too. 
And you're watching this thing, and they're going this way, that way. And in the newsroom, they're going to the helicopter, going, what are they doing now? They seem to be turning left. <laughs> yeah, we know. And then you go to another channel, and guess what they're doing? They're following the same thing. I go, really? Can't we get together on this? And one of you just do that so that we know nobody's going to watch your station and do this? But anyway, what are the police doing? They're doing the job. But what are they doing? They're in an all-out pursuit of that vehicle. And it cracks me up. Like the guy in the car is going to get away with it, right? Don't you sit there somebody going, really? You know how it's going to end up. And then there they go. They, they, they get out of the car. They start running, you know, and like everybody in the world's after them. They don't get away. And then you know, their parents are watching somewhere going, I'm so proud of my son, my meal. Oh, great, you know. <laughs> but the police are in all-out pursuit. That's what that word means, to cleave. You're in an all-out pursuit of your spouse. See, some of us have all-out pursuits for money, for hobby, and I'm not saying you shouldn't grow and accrue and succeed. I'm not saying that at all, so don't get me wrong here. All-out pursuit of sports, but our, our all-out pursuit primary is God, secondary is our spouse. And if we did that, I think there'd be a lot more security because we know Two things, we'd always be in right standing and no one's going anywhere. Amen. Let's pray.